biggest games. The biggest events. Wow, the crowd is on their feet. The biggest stories. This is what you signed up for, Seth. I thought it would be a challenge in the game. Welcome to the ESPN Esports Podcast. Welcome back to the ESPN Esports Podcast. My name is Jacob Wolf. Rachel is missing today, so I'm all by myself. But on the phone, we welcome a very special guest today, a friend of mine, a extremely well-known Counter-Strike Global Offensive commentator, Jason Moses O'Toole. Moses, how are you? I'm good, man. How about you? How have you been? Been okay. I've been trying to recover after the major and get ready to travel a little bit more. So, Yeah, aren't we all? We're all gearing up for the busy season. Yeah, so for, for those of us, because I know we have a lot of League of Legends and, and Overwatch listeners as well, but I actually got some feedback last week about us talking about Counter-Strike. Um, it's uh, Jason is one of the, I would say, one of the most well-known Counter-Strike commentators. Uh, played as a player for a while in Counter-Strike and has now kind of become a commentator over the last couple of years and really has become one of the best, in my opinion. And um, I think he's incredibly well-spoken, which is why he's on the show, and I think that talking to him about uh, Counter-Strike and the Major and what is now happening in the shuffle afterwards is some insight that he can bring from being behind the desk. So um, the first thing I wanted to talk to you about, uh, Jason, is when you were at the Major and you saw these different teams perform, which teams did you identify immediately that you thought should make roster changes? Um, I, I mean, the obvious one is, is, is Virtus Pro, which has kind of been uh, on everyone's mind, and that's just a tough one to make because no one, I don't think anyone actually wanted to see them make a roster change, but you just realized if they were going to try and, and remain competitive at the top of the Counter-Strike scene, it was quite obvious that they had to. Um, I think another squad that kind of needs to think about making one that it seems like they're on that road is, is Gambit. Um, yep. You know, they looked very lackluster defending champions, and they looked completely lost at times on certain maps. Um, so, I mean, there's, there's a couple right there. You can argue Navi looks like they need to make a roster change, still don't know what, what's going on with them entirely. Um, it's tough because it's um, – I think to properly kind of analyze who needs to make a roster change, you also have to set, you know, reasonable expectations of where they're going, where they're supposed to reach in the tournament, right? Which is always a relatively subjective idea. Uh, so, so in that kind of sense, um, it can be a little bit tricky. For instance, I didn't think Liquid necessarily needed to make, needed to make a roster change, um, even though we've already seen them make one as well. Do you think some of these teams, uh, that's actually a good good segue into what I wanted to ask. Do you think some of these teams are a little overreactive? Do you think that they did, like make changes a little too soon rather than giving themselves enough time? Um, I mean, some of them yes and some of them no. Obviously, Virtus Pro probably gave themselves too much time to, to work themselves out of that slump. Uh, they've done it so many times before that they kind of maintain that belief they could do it. Um, and, you know, realistically – you can almost say that they, they probably needed to make a roster change for the majority of 2017. Um, they're kind of a unique situation in, in their, in that Poland doesn't necessarily have the deepest talent pool to pick from uh, an up and comer. Um, I think Gambit, I, I don't think they were too reactive or did one too soon. I mean, they did in a way, but at the same time, you needed to change something their, their issue isn't like the players or the talent level. Um, you know, they had all the tools they needed except for an in-game leader. And the tough thing about judging that roster change of, bringing season at least on a trial scenario at the moment is that he's already tried to be an in-game leader in Navi and he said he'd never do it again. He was, he was terrible at it. Um, so, I mean, some of them kind of make you scratch your head a little bit. I thought Fitch could have been given a bit more time considering the potential we saw in him earlier. 
Um, someone like Team Liquid, I think that's far too soon for a roster change, especially because much like Gambit, they're bringing in, um, you know, they're replacing their their opper and uh, their sniper. And it's with a player who's not a sniper. They're transitioning their best performing player at the major into the full-time opper, which is just kind of a very curious move. So in that sense, um, those two roster changes to me don't, don't really kind of, you know, add up. They don't, they don't make a whole lot of sense in terms of addressing the actual issues that we saw. Yeah, I have to agree with Liquid, right? Because we didn't even get to see them play with their actual roster at the major because of yeah, the walk. Exactly. So it, we don't really yeah. even know what their potential is with Steel at a big tournament like that where it takes several weeks to make a run. And, you know, I thought the Navfly thing was also extremely uh, a little too proactive. I think, I think that's fair criticism. So yeah, and it's 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 no knock on Naf either. Naf's a great player. We saw him be incredible with Renegades over the past few months. It's just um, it's just one of those head scratchers where it's like, is it actually going to solve the issues the team thinks they have? I mean, they're putting a lot of faith in Nitro becoming you know a, a full time opera and being able to be impactful with that role on a consistent basis. So one of the Twitter questions we had on this kind of topic was uh, from David Beasley, and he asked, what North American team do you think has become the stronger from the recent shuffles? Which North American team do I think has become stronger from the shuffle? Yeah, and do you think that they're better than Cloud9? I think is what he's kind of getting at. Um, I mean, Cloud9 is, is, is far and away, obviously. that They have been for some time the best team in North America, and I think if, if you're honestly going to if you're going to judge the region on the on the shuffles that we're that we've seen come through. Obviously, the big one being NAF going to Team Liquid. I think the only team that's that's theoretically gotten stronger um, from that region is once again Cloud Nine. I think that that roster change just in a, in a way kind of distances Cloud Nine even further ahead of, of Team Liquid, um, just because of the time it's going to take to adjust. We're not even sure if it's actually going to pan out and be a net positive. Um, I I think that Liquid with that change could get better. I, I think it's going to be very intriguing to see how they make it work. Um, I don't necessarily think they're going to get better results, but I think like uh, in terms of the eye test, they might look better. Um, other than that, you know, in reality, in the North American region, um, those are kind of the only two relevant teams we have going on. And I'm not including teams like, um, you know, a team like SK, who's Brazilian, obviously they're always going to be relevant. Um, Renegades obviously loses a lot. NAF was a big piece of why they had any results to end last year, so they're going to get worse with his departure. Um, the other team that was kind of intriguing, Misfits from the region, who was at the major qualifier or the, or the challenger stage. Um, you know, they, they have all the contract issues. Who knows if that lineup, I've heard rumors, the French players are going to be wanting to go back. So I, I have no idea what's going on with that lineup, so it's kind of impossible to judge. But in terms of you know, Liquid and Cloud9 being being the only two relevant teams I consider at the moment, Cloud9 is, has definitely even further distanced themselves with that with that kind of roster change. I think we should contextualize just a little bit uh, in the sense that the reason that a lot of these changes are happening is because there is that roster lock that exists. And so there's the two kind of like Valve-sponsored events throughout the year, which is obviously we just had the first one in the Boston Major and E-League a couple yeah. weeks ago. And then we have the other one, which is reportedly going to be in September and hosted by ECS in London. And usually, I mean, that's a wider gap than normal, right? Like last year we saw January and July, and this is January and September. So it, it's... Do you think it will be hard for some of these teams to kind of keep their performance, teams like Cloud9 and others that perform well at this major? 
Um, yes, but I think it's also, I mean, it's definitely going to be hard. I mean, it's never, it's never hard winning an event, uh, especially if you're a team like cloud nine, who had to come through the qualifier, uh, to win an event where you're playing three weeks straight, right? Like it's, it's not easy, um, to do something like that. But what we, what we have to see as well is, um, you know, teams, if they're, if they're going to prioritize the major, which a lot of teams have claimed they haven't, uh, which I'm not necessarily, you know, on, on board with whatsoever, but, you know, if you're going to prioritize the major as, you know, the most prestigious event throughout the year, the two of them, um, then you have to do a better job of, uh, you know, balancing your schedule with the online league play, with the other tournament invites you accept. You know, there's a busy schedule of IEMs, of ESL ones. Um, now, historically, the, the player break has been in August, which which makes it intriguing. If it's still going to be in August and the majors in September, um, then we're going to have another situation where it's going to be the major coming right out of a break. Um, so in that sense, maybe budgeting your time will be will be a little bit easier. You'll, you'll have you know three four weeks off with which to plan practice and boot camp and whatever it might be. Um, but but I think that with the with the kind of season that Counter Strike has, it's all about you know building up into something. You don't have to be amazing throughout the year, but if you are going to prioritize the major, then you have to make sure you're making you know strides the month leading up to the major. Um, and then you and then you kind of put yourself in a peak form where you can have one of those amazing runs you know for those those three weeks of the event like much like we saw sk last year with phelps won what like five tournaments in a row or six of seven or something along those lines yeah so i mean it's not an easy thing to plan but i think that realistically is going to be the goal for counter-strike teams more so than establishing themselves as the number one team consistently throughout the year i think as long as you're top six or top eight and you're getting some of these invites and you can avoid um, playing a lot of the online qualifiers, as long as you find the ability to peak in the right moment, um, that that should be the main goal of Counter Strike teams moving forward in 2018. So, what do you think separates majors from the other tournaments aside from the sponsorship? What makes them so different that you see teams like FaZe or SK who just dominate these other normal year tournaments? What makes a major so different that they they lost like that? Um, obviously, I mean, no matter what the players say, because I mean, they all talked about leading into this major that, you know, they, they don't prioritize it because of, you know, the length of the roster lock and the length of the qualification process and everything like that. And, and they have to prioritize, you know, other events. This, this is an event that has the biggest stage, the biggest audience in terms of viewership of even casual fans tuning in. Right. Um, and I mean, it, it is the major, it's just inherently there's something special about it. I, I think that pressure gets to teams. Um, I think a lot of it as well is if you're a player who's, I mean, we have to remember as well with SK, they, they as well were playing in a stand-in. I mean, an asterisk, he's like a former teammate that played with them for six or seven months. So um, it's about as little small of a stand-in as possible. But um, nonetheless, they've been practicing with a completely different player uh, right. leading up towards that break. But I think if you're going to be one of those teams that is going to say you're not prioritizing the major, I think that's that's just naturally unconsciously going to bleed through into your play. And um, I think that's a little bit of what we what we kind of saw. Um, I think sometimes with the major, the tournament schedule of uh, it's Swiss system, but it is BO1s. There's a lot of BO1s, which, um, you know, is tough. And then on top of that, the major is, like we said, two two weeks long if you qualify as a legend from the previous major and three weeks long if you have to go through the Challenger series. So um, it's not easy mentally to be able to stay you know, focus for all those days, three weeks long, when you, when you're on the road, you're traveling, you're away from home, you don't have like your normal support structure, your normal setup and whatever it, it might be. Um, it, it's not an easy thing to do. So it's a little bit more, more of like a grueling mental task, I think. 
Do you think that G2 was kind of underwhelming in, in the playoff stage of the major? And, you know, obviously they just announced that they're going to have going to be missing shocks towards the end of the or the end of March. They're going to be missing him for a minimum of three weeks, maybe even a maximum of 10, depending on his uh, rehabil- rehabilitation in his wrist. Like, what do you think this that team looks like after failing in quarterfinals to cloud nine and, and now potentially having to go for 10 weeks without one of their best players? I mean, you know, it's good you brought that up because that can even be tied into just that, that previous question is if you look at G2, the length of this tournament, because remember, they looked phenomenal through the qualification stage and right. through the group stage, right? They looked incredible. And then to be able to keep up that kind of a pace um, for those three weeks, obviously a big struggle to them. They travel up to Boston and they just get completely, you know, wiped out of the server by Cloud9. So um, that's something I think, you know, that that's just one of those teams that's just always seems to be a heartbreak because they have all the players. You can't point to any one player and say, this guy is, is the issue. Um, they just have never been able to put it together, um, you know, full term. And this seemed like, it seemed like they finally found the answer, right? They, they gave the interviews at the beginning of the year before the major shocks was pissed. He just spent a whole year as the in-game leader. Didn't really have any good results. He, he called 2017 a failure, which I personally love to see because I want to see those players who aren't achieving to the level that you, that they should be like getting upset and getting pissed about that. So that was very good. Um, it's, it's just tough to kind of flip the switch. So it'll be interesting to see how that's going to be going forward. Um, you know, it's just, they always, to me, I, I feel like I'm one of the people who's never been super high on them because of that inconsistency, um, you know, because of their ability to come out and win an event, but then, you know, just completely bomb out of two or three in a row. And that, that kind of scares me. It's very difficult for me to get on board as that as like an elite team, um, but I mean, the tough part with shocks going into surgery, it could be good for them. Maybe, maybe Smith does step in and even just for three weeks, maybe they, they have to do something different. They have to change certain other players have to step up and shocks comes back and they all have a different way of, of looking at the game. And maybe they had to adjust a couple ways they play. Maybe they had to look into a few more things to just last through those three weeks. And, um, they'll have some fresh ideas and a fresh feeling and rejuvenation. And even if shocks comes back and everything's much better, he's playing pain-free, maybe, this is the time he actually becomes a god again. So we're going to take a short break, and then we're going to come back, and I will talk more to Moses about Counter-Strike and the shuffle that is going on. But if you like listening to our podcast, you can find us on iTunes, you can find us on TuneIn, and make sure to leave us a review and a rating, and we greatly appreciate it. We do look at feedback, and yeah, uh, if you have one of those, feel free to leave it for us. Welcome back to the ESPN Esports Podcast. We still have Moses on the line. We're still talking about roster changes. So with Virtus Pro. Right, they announced this morning. They confirmed that they're going to be using uh, you're going to be using a player from loan from Kingwin, and and that they are no longer going to have Taz. Right, what is what changes in that lineup for you? What what do you think they're capable of without Taz? Because like even in October, right, we were seeing them take second at, at Epicenter. It's not like they definitely had their slumps, and I would agree with you that they waited too long to make the change because I think they should have made it way prior. Um, but what does that team look like? now for you and what do you think they're capable of with a completely different player for the first time in a very long time uh you know i I, to be honest with you i don't think this roster change is is gonna do a whole lot in in terms of seeing a jump start um in their in their results and this is one of the one of the ways where it's always kind of tough to criticize virtus pro for not making a roster change earlier is I, i don't think anyone even the guys in poland um see any players at like the level beneath them that, that are showing the potential and showing the ability and showing 
being being ready to make that leap up to the professional division. So they bring in me, who has been around for a little bit, and he's um, he, he's never been spectacular. He hasn't kind of blown us away. He stood in for them a couple times. Um, but, you know, the, the thing, it obviously brings more firepower, but their issue isn't necessarily always firepower. They've had huge problems, not just with Taz. I mean, Neo's been underperforming, uh, underperforming uh, statistically. Snacks as well had a had a pretty rough year in terms of uh, in terms of his his level that he's normally at. I mean, that's a guy that has carried them through stretches all on his own essentially, and and he was missing for for good chunks of 2017. So um, they've got a lot more things to figure out than removing Taz and bringing someone new in. Uh, and I would be surprised if maybe in the next three four months or so we didn't you know either see someone different than me who come in or we see another roster change uh, come in for Virtus Pro. Um, they've they've just spent too long on the back burner. So they, I mean, the other the other thing they have to figure out is the leadership problem, right? Because you know Neo's done it in the past, um, but Taz was the guy who who more often than not took up the mantle, and they swapped it back and forth. And Taz was always the one when everyone else said no, I don't want to do it anymore. Taz was always the one that took it on himself. So they no longer have that fail safe. So when you look at that lineup now. I don't know what kind of a player Mihu is. I don't know if he was the in-game leader for his previous teams, but um, you know, if he if he wasn't, then you have to go to either Neo or Snacks. Um, and and Snacks, you know, had a kind of a disastrous performance as an in-game leader earlier in the year from Virtus Pro. So they've still got plenty of questions, and I don't think that this one roster change is going to uh, to fix anything. Do you think that it's ever possible to see them reach the peak that they did in 2014? Because to me, it always felt like that that their peak and the time that they were the best team that they in the world i i guess if we want to say that um it felt like it was at a very inopportune time for the business of counter-strike counter-strike really blew up in 2015 and uh yeah you know they they were kind of peaked a little too early i feel like you know and i i think that that was very unfortunate considering how good of a team they were to watch but do you think they can ever reach that that point again um no, but I don't think that's any kind of disparagement on them as a team because, um, uh, again, like if you look at the, the history through Counter-Strike, you can say the same thing about NIP, that they you know right. peaked too early in 2013 and 2014. Um, but, but I think the Counter-Strike scene has gotten too deep in terms of the number of teams who you can see make like a really hot run, a uh, really good tournament run, and actually win – you know, a big event like, like we, you know, like the majors or like the IEMs or like the ESO one colognes. Um, there's too many teams that could realistically do that. You know, even going into an event, sometimes it feels like four or five teams um, are playing well enough or look like they're strong enough to do it. Um, so we're not going to see those, those eras like we had, you know, the NIP era of 2013 or, you know, the fanatic era that kind of began in late 2014 throughout 2015. Um, even even when SK had like you know they've been considered essentially the best team in the world for for almost two years now or a year and a half they haven't been completely dominant at running the tournament circuit they've had those good stretches but I don't think it's possible for teams to kind of reach the same peak that we compare to you know in years past because you know when Fnatic is the best team in the world in 2015 they they didn't really have you know, a consistent challenger behind them. You know, sometimes it was NIP. Sometimes it was Virtus Pro. Occasionally TSM or Slash Astralis stepped up. Occasionally the French team stepped up. Um, but, you know, you're never going to get one team dominating for an entire year the way that we've seen in the past. So, I mean, the, the, the short answer is no, they're not going to reach that peak again. But there is the kind of asterisk of saying, 
I'm not even sure it's entirely possible for any team to reach the peak that we saw from, from squads in 2013, 2014, and 2015. So Astralis is actually a really good uh, good thought project, I think. What do you think they need in a fifth, and who do you think it realistically could be? I want to see them get Dennis, um, oh, which, is, which is quite nice because we already saw that preview at Blast Pro uh, where they where they made it all the way to the finals. And granted, it wasn't necessarily off the back of Dennis. It was off of Dupree, who had an incredible event at Vopping. Um, but, but I want to see them find someone who's going to be more – aggressive and more creative and more playmaking. You know, when you, when you look at the Danish teams, um, you know, Astralis and North, kind of the two top Danish squads, they just seem very, you know, they have that map control, that slow pace, like, you know, tactical and fundamental style of play. And they just seem, it almost reminds me of, of kind of some of the Navi lineups where it's just like, you know, it's a machine and everything's kind of working in tandem to get to the end goal. But if something goes wrong, they never really, it was always a criticism line from Astralis throughout last year was that they don't have anyone who, who really wants to take control of a round or really is going to just do something that, you know, fundamentally might seem crazy, theoretically might seem crazy, but can pull it off and make it work. The only player I could think of in the Danish scene who does things like that is Config, and he plays for North, and they have their own issues. Um, so I'd like to see them get Dennis because that's that's kind of a tendency, a creative, uh, intuitive playmaking that he brought to the table that that allowed them to get out of some tough spots and gave them a new look and a new very dangerous look to them. Um, so I want to see him. Um, and then the question that, like becomes. Are they going to replace anyone else? Are they going to take this opportunity to kind of revamp the core of that team? They've been together for so long. Um, but I think Dennis would be a great idea. I think another option, which is a big risk, and I don't think they'll do it, maybe even just for marketing purposes, is bring in someone like Yugi for Device. Uh, Device oh. has long been the star of uh, Danish Counter-Strike, but, um, you know, he's, he's a rifler. He's not, you know, an opper. Maybe instead of replacing Device with him, you bring Yugi in and you put Device back onto the rifle. Um, let him get back into action that way, and you have an opera in Yugi, who's who's young and creative, and he's a you know pure CS:GO player. So they've got some options available to them. Um, you know, even even I think Config is is benched, isn't he? So he's even available if they wanted to go that route yeah. as well. Um, so I mean, there, there's some there's some ideas if they want to go for it. I know Config. Uh, I don't know how well he gets along with the other Danish guys. He is um, a little bit of a, a smack talker, which which I love. Uh, hope that wouldn't preclude him from consideration, but they they do have plenty of avenues to change the look of that team. It all depends on how much they actually do want to change the way they play. Because some of these guys, you know, they aren't they aren't like plug and play players. It's not like you can just come in and say, hey, take over all of his roles and do exactly what he did. You'd really have to kind of adjust the team around different play styles. So they have options if they want to take the risk, and we'll just see where they go. Nell reported this morning that Existence is parting ways with LDLC. Do you think we could see him land big on another French team? Like a big French team, not yeah. just a small one? Yeah, I'd, I'd actually love it. Um, why why not go for it if you're someone like Envy, um, who's who's had struggles of their own, and obviously they looked atrocious towards the, uh, the tail end of, of their time at the Major. Um, even if you're G2, I don't think this will ever happen, but I, I, you know, it, it, you know, from the outside looking in, it's almost like why not consider it? Um, you know, you do, you, there's a lot of cool things. You free up shocks from in-game leading. So you let him kind of be a star, uh, you know, Kenny S in the past was at his best when he was under existence. Um, in some of those teams, he had incredible, incredible runs with him, focusing the game around him. Um, it all depends on how they want to do, but I think considering the success of the French teams recently and how much talent is in that scene and how little they've achieved with it, 
I think why not bring back, you know, the most, you know, one of the, the in-game leader of your region who has kind of defined French Counter-Strike to begin CSGO. He's been out in the cold for two years now. Bring him back, see if he's learned anything, see if he's changed, uh, and give him another shot because you guys, at this point it almost feels like those teams have nothing to lose. So I'm going to leave. We're going to exit on this question, and I want to get your yeah. thoughts. And I, you know, disclaimer is that we still have very limited information. I think there are still some changes that will happen. But if you had to look based off what you've seen right now, who are the best teams in Counter-Strike by September? By September? Okay, so by the time the next major comes along. Right. Um, you know, I don't I don't think it's going to change too much. I think I think SK will probably have re-solidified themselves. Um, you know, between all the roster back and forth, however you want to consider them. I think they're going to still be in the top three. Faze will still be up there just, uh, you know, off the basis of how much talent they have. Um, that's tough. Uh, you know, Astralis, I, I have to believe Astralis will get back up there. I've not always been their biggest fan, um, but they play very, very good Counter-Strike and very tough Counter-Strike to beat, so I have to imagine they'll be back. I think Cloud9 will still be up there in the top five of teams. Uh, you know, I would I would like to see Mouse Sports. I would like to see Mouse Sports make some leaps and bounds and, and find ways to consistently be a top five team. I don't I don't think we'll see G two there to be honest with you. Um, depending on how what kind of criteria you use, but I mean they they're going to be another. It's probably going to be another year for them where maybe they win an event here or there. Uh, but for the most part of it, they're they're just still unimpressive. So while they might get some points for some decent results, I, I don't like they're one of those teams that I feel like the eye test doesn't necessarily match up with any kind of point system they get from tournaments. So um, I've never been too high on G2, and I think I'll probably stay that way for the majority of 2018. All righty. Well, thank you for coming on. Super appreciate it. It's always good to get your insight on Counter-Strike, and uh, I hope we can have you back. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime, Jacob. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you to Moses for coming on. You can find him on Twitter at at OnFireMoses. You can find me on Twitter at Jacob N. Wolf, and you can find ESPN Esports on Twitter at ESPN underscore Esports. We'll be back next week, hopefully with Rachel, and make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, TuneIn, and other platforms, and we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to the ESPN Esports Podcast.